0: What's up, everyone? What's up, Climates? Welcome to Planet of the Climates. Planet of the Climates is a community organized podcast bringing you the latest information and insight into Klima. Klima is a blockchain protocol backed by carbon credits that gives people a chance to fight climate change as a collective and get rewarded for doing so. Klima sits at the intersection of blockchain climate action and the carbon credit market, so there's no shortage of great stuff for us to talk about. My name's Phaedrus, and I'll be your host on this adventure. I'll be joined by my good friends and co-hosts Reg and Diamond Hands as we discuss the latest Klima news, drop some occasional alpha, and connect you with the biggest and brightest names currently exploring this space. So today we're chatting with Oxymoron from the core team of KlimaDAO, but uh, let's just jump right into this. Well, we know our POTK interviews with core Klima team members like Archimedes and Dionysus have been some of our most popular episodes to date. So uh, we're super excited to be sitting down now with another of Klima's original founders. We're joined by Oxymoron to not only shed some light on their background and work within the DAO, but also a bit of a deep dive on carbon emissions analysis perhaps as it relates to our project and our mission too. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us Oxymoron. I know we've had you on our radar as a potential guest for some time. It's great to finally have some time to sit down and chat. We know within the uh, within the core team, we have some interesting names and personalities from ancient Greek mathematicians to Roman Stoics. And you've kind of taken a pass on those historic names and the Karen Hair PFPs. I don't know, I'm just taking a stab in the dark here. Uh, when it comes to your name, some people would say that blockchain solving the climate crisis is kind of an oxymoron. So <laughs> what's the story behind your name? Do you have an origin story or do you just enjoy exploring apparent contradictions?
1: Yeah, I, I think this is a, a great opening question and not one that I was expecting, honestly. Archie definitely set a precedent. He was probably the first one of the team to, to take the pseudonym on um, for his office hours so it set a trend i i think for myself it it probably comes from my main objective prior to launch with klima i was responsible for doing a lot of the development of the content and the, the communications element of our work so i think we what we're what we're trying to do is quite complex and properly communicating the vision was, was a huge piece of work. So the name oxymoron actually came from when I was writing that very first Klimadal blog piece, uh, which I think it was published in May or so almost a year ago, and it, it talks about that contrast between what our economy values and, and what we as humans value and, and get joy from, so it gets into this notion that although our natural environment is fundamentally necessary for for us as humans to to kind of function um and it's it's one of our our most prized assets we're we're kind of actively destroying it by by the way that we're set up to consume natural resources and in this article anyway it you know it, it got kind of high level and and i was toying with various ideas and an oxymoron was was one of the the words in there one of the concepts in there it never made the cut the, the final article was, was a lot more prosaic but the the name kind of stuck with me and 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 that's where it came from and then of course it's actually my first name is Oxy Moron, <laughs> not not Oxy, which is is some somewhat obligatory if you if you're working within the Ethereum ecosystem.
2: Zero X for the crypto wallet address, yeah. Exactly, but yeah,
1: that's I mean, interesting story. Yeah, no one's no one's asked about it, but but that's where it came from. That that first blog piece when I was sitting down and, and thinking about that. Meanwhile, Archie was was doing the office hours, and I knew I needed a pseudonym, so so that was the one. That's
0: well, that's brilliant. I'm glad we could get the scoop there for our listeners anyways. And uh, yeah, definitely, you know, interesting that, you know, we've got some, you know, interesting or provocative or meme worthy names and personalities and stuff. And just to, to realize that you're kind of your name there is referencing that, you know, that dilemma or that contradiction when we've got these economic externalities where we're kind of um, uh, that cartoon image always comes to my mind of like sawing off the branch that we're sitting on or standing on on the tree. But yeah, you, so you talked about those early days coming up on the one year anniversary now, perhaps, of some of the you know earliest starts of Klima. But how about we just back up a little bit before that, too. What's your background? What's your journey been before Klima? Sure.
1: I, I can start right at the beginning and, and go chronologically. So my background is in environmental science and renewable energies. When I did my first degree, climate change was... A very hot topic so my environmental science background really went deep into climate science more than anything off the back of that specializing in renewables felt like the natural next step to gain some more sort of technical and practical skills i think i had the feeling that environmental science is committed you to a, a life of academics and research whereas the renewable sector was at the time turning into a growing sector in its own right so i went with that studied renewables worked in the energy sector i suppose my specialism was sustainable energy policy my work experience prior to climate was was quite varied i suppose i did some time in academics did some time sort of consulting and and lobbying and and did some time as a policy maker i think my interest in blockchain really came from that way i guess my interest in blockchain came from two sides first of all investing right per- personal investments is is the gateway drug for for a lot of us um, i sort of got stuck in at first in 2017 um, But at the time uh, in in 2017 or so i was also working on innovation projects here in the uk There's a, there's a lot of funding for innovation projects in the energy sector you know i think our, our government has um, made it quite clear that they take innovation in the energy sector quite seriously um, and also see it as a you know, an opportunity, an economic opportunity. Um, And at the time I was working on a variety of sort of blockchainy projects, proof of concept stuff, early stage stuff. And there's there's this idea in the UK around smart local energy systems. So the, the basic idea is that distributed renewables, really solar can be more efficiently or more productively used if it's used locally rather than fed back into the, the grid to accrue a feed-in tariff so if you can use blockchain through sort of peer-to-peer trading systems you can I think they called it the four d's digitize democratize democratize disintermediate and decentralize the energy system or something along those lines so so that was probably my my first real introduction into you know the utility of blockchain i don't think it's really it's not really taken off i dare say Maybe they need to hire Brian or something to put some economics on, on their local energy systems uh, to, to try and get them to take off of it. And, um, but yeah, that, that was the first dip into blockchain. And then I suppose for the past three years or so, I've been going a lot deeper into the carbon markets and the interplay with crypto. I knew that proof of work had a, had a big footprint. I knew that the carbon markets were, were searching for, for new demand. So there was, there was something in that. Um, but the the deeper you go and the more you learn about the interplays, the more interesting it gets. And I think that's probably kind of where Klemedow comes from. I think, and, and Archie referenced this in his podcast, right? We've we've all been floating around this space, learning, you know, trying solutions here and there. Um, and then when we came together, I suppose the idea of of dow pulled on our sort of various insights and perspectives and keeping it down in a way is probably a, yeah some sort of manifestation of our, our various experiences and that's that's where we are today so yeah that's my story
0: yeah that's great uh, and i know we had heard in those conversations with uh archie and dionysus as well too that you know in theory some of you could have been competitors you know you kind of came together and united to solve this problem and tackle things together
1: yeah i think i mean that's the beauty of of crypto and Dows and you know the the area that that we all work in as professionals right it's it's this concept of building collaborating plugging in where you can searching for new opportunities leveraging other technology stacks that other people may have developed and and you can put to use for, for your needs I think this is the perfect space to do it and I think you know climate change being one of the the real big issues of our generation needs that kind of open, collaborative approach. We, we could have gone our own ways and, and focused on, on building out our own solutions. But had we done that, our impact wouldn't have been as big, I'm sure.
2: I wanted to just reflect on something you mentioned earlier about your experience going from academics to exploring the commercial side of things. And then also being involved in what sounds to me like you mentioned government, either as an appointment or... Maybe just expand on that a little bit and then also the contra- contrast that with your experience in the DAO so far in terms of how the DAO stacks up to the commercial side and also the government side in terms of moving things forward.
1: That's an, yeah, it's an interesting question. Academics is a great place to start, I think. You learn to cut through quite complex topics and and try and test your hypothesis, right? Um, and I think that's a, a really valuable critical thinking skill for, for wherever your career takes you. I think it's it's definitely served me well. I think for me, being in the energy sector, the commercial space was was really quite interesting um, over the past you know, ten years or so, with you know, various things happening, new innovations spinning up. You know, we we had the solar boom what, just over ten years ago, and. Maybe we're in another boom, at least in the UK. They're, they're thinking about hydrogen a lot, so there's there's all this this market activity happening, which is a great experience to to get involved with that. And then the policy making side of it's totally different as well. You you know you you're a servant, aren't you? You're you, you're a servant to the to to society when when you're involved in policy making, and and you're trying to figure out again these these complex competing issues to to try and find optimal solutions to in in the case of the energy sector and in the UK, to basically serve the market, right? That's kind of you're trying to remove any any barriers that that might be in in the market to, to help things become more efficient. So these these are all quite competing domains. I would say, or well, not competing domains, but but different domains, different ways of thinking. I think the skills that I've gained from them are all useful in the DAO. I think KlimaDAO itself is multifaceted. In some ways, we we operate like a business. You know, we we want to get partnerships in. We want to scale adoption of of Klima. We want to push out the the Klima Infinity product. But obviously, at the same time, and and it's playing out at the moment, isn't it? The 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 kind of structure is being developed as we go. We've, we've been speaking about this decentralization working group and how we can maximize the power of crypto and community to help us scale. But at the same time, you know, we, we've also got a quite clear set of priorities that we need to focus on in the near term to, to help us get to to where we think we need to be. So I think with Some levels, the DAO is is similar to a a quite commercial environment and on other levels, it's just a totally new space, a new, a new way of operating, got to be able to focus on the complex things and understand the complex things. And at the same time, you've you've got to be an active member of the DAO to have your voice on, on how you want this kind of new system to to develop. So, yeah, I think the DAO is probably, yeah, I guess it's the, the fourth kind of organization I've worked in weirdly. Probably the weirdest, but probably the most fun, I would
2: say. So KlimaDAO has come a long way since at least the public launch. In your mind, how has KlimaDAO changed at all? Like, did you think that we would be where we are doing what we're doing here in April 2022 back in October? Or did you, what were you surprised by in terms of the development of Klima?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think on some levels, we knew what we were getting ourselves into. We knew that there was demand for this type of solution, right, a legitimate, scalable, crypto carbon solution. I think in the lead up to the launch, we we saw the interest in what we were doing. So I think the fact that we have established you know, very deep liquidity on Polygon to, to serve the needs and the objectives of the Dell Um, didn't necessarily expect us to have this level of success, but it, it was part of the plan, if you know what I mean. And then I think what we have been less prepared for, or what has surprised me the most has been the development of the DAO itself. Right. I think that was, we were focused on the climate solution and we thought that a DAO was, was the best way to do it for for various reasons. But you know, we we launched mid-October, by November, we had this separate kind of contributor server for, for DAO contributors forming, um, and that took shape very quickly. And then, you know, we, we brought more and more people in and we we started really, you know, pumping through content, pumping through policy, pumping through DAO development, and, and that all happened very, very quickly. I think since January, we've perhaps, we've slowed down haven't we i mean in all honesty it's been it's been a tricky few months for everybody um not and not just within crypto or DAOs. it's it's been hard and so now i think the pace of the first few months is really catching up with us i think the the gravity of our work is is starting to be acknowledged at, at various different levels you know i think our community's always had a really good grasp of what it is that we're trying to do um but now i think you know, we're starting to engage with new audiences. And so it's a bit of a, a time for reflection at the moment, which is positive and, it, and it's needed, right? You can't always go at a million miles per hour. Mm-hmm. So speaking about doubt itself, right, we understand that you are a core member of Clima itself. So maybe you can share a little bit more about like what's your role, uh, what department are you part of, and uh, what do you normally do on a day-to-day basis? Sure. I, I think I've always had one job since day one that job of trying to communicate what it is that we're trying to do to the community. So I, I kind of mentioned that in, in the, the opening question, actually. So yeah, I've been developing a lot of written content, more than anything since, since the Genesis, I would say this is something that I'm still pretty heavily involved with. A lot of my week can be getting ideas down on paper, helping shape a, a piece of content, you know, whether it's on our blog or, you know, at the moment we're, we're trying to hit Press a bit harder so you know getting succinct content out for for different types of audiences and i think related to that and kind of as i alluded to in in the previous question we're now starting to engage with with new audiences and that requires a different tact so whilst we whilst our community grasps it how do we how do we get bloomberg to understand it how do we get policymaker to understand it? How do we get the carbon market to understand it? So at the moment, we're, we're thinking quite hard about our sort of comms approach in general and trying to elevate it a bit, I would say. So that's that's something that I'm involved in quite a lot at the moment. I think that another piece of work that I'm, I'm involved in is the, the sort of partnership side of things. So, I mean, of course, lead generation is always important, when you're at an early stage, you know, it could be fielding inquiries, could be jumping into someone's Discord or Twitter to to try and to try and generate something for the DAO itself. But then also, kind of similar to the the kind of comms piece, you know, engaging with potentially strategic partners, whether they're in the carbon market or, or part of an institution, to try and you know get get them on board with what it is that we're that we're building. Can it can it serve them commercially, or can it serve them Ideologically, or you know, those those sorts of things. So a lot of my work is is also the the partnership side of things. Um, I think it's, it's probably important as a co-founder to with, with good oversight. I think I've, I've got pretty good oversight over, over the whole DAO. Um, to to really just just try and pitch in where you can. Um, I think I've got quite deep understanding of the subject matter. Um so it's it's a case of working with people. I think you know, trying to share that subject matter is is quite important. That subject matter knowledge is really important if you know if we we're trying to build this thing together. So so how can we make sure that, that everyone's able to do their, their job job as best as possible? So I think I think that's another sort of element, um, just just trying to work with people. And I think that becomes more easy as we establish this kind of structure around the DAO, right we've we've been a a little bit hectic and and now things are formalizing a bit more i think uh, it becomes much easier to 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 work on these areas
2: yeah it feels like we've settled on um, a period of stability right now in terms of both the DAO and also klima as a protocol itself i wanted to ask about just to back up take a little more a higher higher level view here for the listeners about what we're trying to do, and just touching on the fact that you mentioned um, your subject matter experience, why is the carbon market better suited to be on the blockchain?
1: I think that maybe we need to establish the fundamentals of, of the carbon market, and then we can talk about why it's relevant. Yeah. So the, the carbon market itself, I guess you can split it into two halves. So you've kind of got the supply side, which is these projects across the globe, which do you know, various things, which are the benefits of which can can help us in, in the climate fight. So you might have a, a renewable energy project, which is displacing fossil fuels from the grid. You might have a, a forest protection project, which is ensuring that the land itself isn't degraded or, or deforested. Or a reforestation project where where new trees are actually planted so you've got these projects and these projects can create carbon credits as long as they surpass some some quite diligent requirements. they can be accredited and then once accredited you you kind of have a carbon credit right and the carbon credits held initially by the, the project developers and then they can be sold into the market and then it's at the point where they're sold into the market where i think things or is where Klima is focused let's say so these carbon credits will initially be sold on to an intermediary or or a broker and then they might be sold on to a retailer or a corporate or occasionally to to an individual so i think at at this we'll, we'll we'll not talk about the supply side too much at the moment because i think it's it gets more into perhaps personal opinion, but on the it's a bit outside
2: the scope of klima as well. Right?
1: Yeah, exactly. But on on the demand side, you've you've kind of got this system where there's not that much transparency, there's not that much data, and it's you know fundamentally it's quite a slow process. If if I personally want to go and purchase a carbon credit, I'll have to you know get could get in touch with a retailer. You know, there's lots of retailers online at the moment, and and usually there you have to. Um, you just click right you're, you're a total price taker it's one credit for eight dollars one credit for twelve dollars one credit for fifteen dollars um or if i had a manufacturing business I, I could call up a broker and i could have a conversation with them and say i need you know i've got this this many emissions i need these types of credits what have you got for me and then they'll tell me well i've, I've got these credits and i'll say oh that's that's a bit expensive um i'll get back to you and then i might go and call another one up and they they might tell me something different and then another one and I might might learn something different there. And it's just this this whole process, right? And and what's more is these these brokers who might be selling me a carbon credit didn't actually originate the carbon credits themselves. So in order for my investment into the climate to actually get to the project developers, it's it's kind of got to go through another step in the chain. So you've got this this um inefficient market, I would say, and the blockchain. And particularly DeFi, it's all about market-based solutions, right? It's in the name, decentralized finance. It's it's about democratizing kind of financial transactions. So I think one of the the core sort of fundamentals for for DAO is is the protocol-owned liquidity and the automated automated market makers. So so we own liquidity on in sushi swap pools, and that means that the reality is once these carbon credits are, are bridged onto the blockchain they can be directly tra- traded in pools rather than the liquidity itself being held by a broker or a retailer and i think the minute that you can move the assets themselves into liquid and transparent pools you can then start to transact with these pools at the market at the market equilibrium right the, the market itself is pricing pricing the, the cost of carbon um, or the, the cost of a carbon credit. And I think that's objectively a, a better situation than, than this other kind of heavily intermediated approach. So I think the blockchain itself provides that really elegant solution. And I think KlimaDAO's role of providing the liquidity is really important. And I guess just to to close the loop, the the kind of impact that KlimaDAO has had is that through these incentive mechanisms we've made brokers or project developers or whoever holds carbon credits want to bring them onto the blockchain and so i think that that incentive we you know at the moment we're kind of seeing this mass migration if you like of live carbon credits in the legacy system to live carbon credits on the blockchain and so i think klima's role in incentivizing that migration uh, shouldn't be understated, and it's it's something really important that we're doing at the moment. But I think as the market establishes itself, um, and and as it you know is is understood to be a legitimate and useful solution for the for the carbon market itself, I think um, yeah we'll we'll see these things play out right more certainty for future demand more options to sell into a you know the appropriate pool for the, the credits that you might you might hold and and directly interface with the market that maximizes the amount of climate finance that goes to the project developer compared with you know other players in the market so yeah some some interesting things that are playing out right in front of our eyes at the moment
0: for sure so perhaps to you know loop things into in some you know timely questions and some timely discussion and debate that's been had across you know uh crypto twitter and Lots of discussion about, you know, not just the footprint or emissions that are tied to blockchain writ large or tied to Bitcoin, but specifically, you know, there's been some criticism out there, perhaps with our uh, friend there, DigiEconomist, some, you know, criticism of whether or not the proof of stake approach that we're using on Polygon and Clima deliberately launched on Polygon for that, you know, low GHG footprint uh, approach through proof of stake. Um, so there's been that criticism out there, but I know we have a new blog post with emissions analysis done with our Clima Infinity partner off Cetra. Would you be able to walk us through a little bit about, you know, what this criticism is or like, how are we demonstrating the true efficiency of the Polygon network and the proof of stake approach?
1: Sure. I think it makes sense to, to start with, I guess, the, the fundamentals of the analysis in that case. The so the emissions analysis of polygon is consists of two elements right there's the the proof of stake itself so polygon's a proof of stake network it, it incentivizes validators to secure the blockchain through incentives um a validator you know is, is a computer is connected to the power supply so there's there's an emissions associated with the electricity consumed for, for the validation activities. They're usually on, you know, most if not all of the time. So it adds up. And then there's the, the separate element of the, the dependency of, of Polygon as a EVM-compatible blockchain on Ethereum. Um, so it, you know, intermittently makes sure that everything's matching up between Polygon transactions with, with Ethereum uh, mainnet. So so there's this this interface with Ethereum. Ethereum is is proof-of-work itself. So therefore, it seems fair that that Polygon should um, be responsible for the proportionate amount of emissions based on the amount that interfaces with Ethereum. I guess there's also another element to the the proof-of-work dependency, which is the fact that people bridge tokens from Ethereum to Polygon, right? You know, may, maybe they've they've been in Ethereum or or something on Ethereum for for many years, and they see this great project called Celer and they think, oh, great! I'd love, love to get involved in this, and and so they need to bridge some of their assets over to to enable market activity on Polygon to happen. So there's these these two two kind of pieces: uh, proof of stake and, and proof of work. Proof of stake is of course relatively um, lightweight; it's, it's a computer. You know it's not free to run your computer all, all the time you'll you'll have a hefty energy bill i guess if you leave it on all month but it, it's not going to be massive whereas proof of work is yeah by all accounts it's intensive right the the intensity of proof of work you know is internalized into ethereum itself if you if you go onto ethereum and you, you try and do, do a transaction, I know sell, sell some Ethereum or something, it it takes a while and it costs a bit because of the complexity and, and the, the heavy lifting of proof of work. So because of this, this intensity of proof of work, it's got that high carbon footprint. And so the analysis considers, it essentially adds the, the proof of stake emissions with with the proof of work emissions. I think as as you point out, there's this other kind of less well explored um, principle here of should other things which uh, are to some degree related with with Polygon uh, be attributed to Polygon's carbon accounts. So I think Matic L one uh, the Matic token, so Polygon's native token, which you know is 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 active on on Ethereum, is very active on Ethereum. You look at the, the gas allocated to Matic on, on Ethereum it's you know millions, millions of gas has been used for thick. Well, because that's Polygon's native token, but it's active on, on Ethereum, should Polygon take responsibility for it? Um so checkpointing and bridging you could probably equate to scope three emissions, right? Ethereum's almost providing a service for Polygon. It needs the liquidity and it needs to, to make sure that the network is support secure. Whereas with MATIC on L1, it's activity for an Ethereum user to, to do something useful, you know, invest or trade or whatever. Um, I think it's an offset position on this was, look, because, because that's not directly bringing any benefits to Polygon, Although it's the Matic token, you know, so it's, got, it's got the same name and such. Um, that, that doesn't mean that those emissions should be associated with Polygon. And then, economist view is, you know, a lot, a lot more sort of aggressive, and no, it's, you know, the, the Matic token, and therefore Polygon are, are responsible for it. And I think this kind of gets into the the whole issue with crypto carbon accounting. There's um, pretty, un, let's say, undebatable fundamentals. Validators have an energy consumption. Mining rigs have an energy consumption. Well, you can define that energy consumption relatively easy. But, I mean, it's harder to define the energy consumption of a mining rig compared compared to the validator, but you know it, it can be done. You can allocate the responsibility of emissions relatively easily um, by by looking at transactions or, or gas consumption. But what's was you know they're, they're like fundamental principles but but these other kind of uh more philosophical discussion points um around around the edges uh there is there is no standards there is kind of no agreed best practice so so we get into these debates i mean ultimately i would say it's um a useful debate right this is crypto carbon accounting has probably been happening for about two years. Um, we've gone from zero knowledge or limited knowledge to this being a, a live debate playing out on Twitter. Various organisations are, are interested in it, they're asking questions, they're you know, get, getting in touch with, with the carbon accountants, et cetera. So I think, you know, ultimately it's a good debate to be had, but we do need to come together at some point and and establish best practices. Okay.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. I would just like to, like for our listeners, so you've kind of drawn the the analogy there with, um you know, you're talking about Maddox um, interaction with Ethereum layer one. And just for our listeners to pause and reflect, I think you kind of called that scope three. So I know out there in traditional, you know, greenhouse gas uh, emissions accounting, they've got scope one, scope two, scope three. Could you perhaps just like at a very high level, kind of explain what that means. Is that like primary, secondary, and and tertiary emissions? Is that what we're really talking about here?
1: Sure. So scope one, essentially, is emissions associated with assets that are owned or controlled by an organization. So, for example, a boiler could be be the source of scope one emissions, Uh, the reason being... You'd have gas supplied to your boiler, and then you would combust that boiler, the, the gas in the boiler to, to do something useful for you on site. So those emissions happen on site. And that's slightly different to scope two emissions, which comes from typically the generation of kind of purchased electricity or your heating and cooling systems, the, the kind of distinction being that if, if you with scope one emissions when you kind of ship that gas onto your site and you, you're you're combusting it there so so the emission should be allocated there with with electricity it's like different you know your electricity is generated in power stations or wind farms or solar farms um, and then the electricity is the actual useful useful stuff you just consume it on site to to do something good or, so, or something that you need so there's distinction made there between fuels combusted within a a controlled asset and electricity brought in to to do something useful for you just it's just distinguishing between the 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 actual location of the the generation i suppose and then scope three includes all other sort of indirect emissions that could occur within the value chains that could be upstream or or downstream these are really well-established guidelines i think you know there's still some questions around scope three but it's and what we're seeing at the moment is it's quite difficult to just you know pick up those principles and then just shove them on top of crypto or, or blockchains and and kind of you know state anything absolute about how relevant they are. I think you could viably consider validators as scope two emissions, right? Because the the network is incentivizing. Activity from a computer. The computer uses electricity, so it's it's directly, you know, facilitating activity. I think you could say that the checkpointing and bridging, although it's done on Ethereum, it's a fundamental service to Polygon. So, you know, sim- similar to that definition of of Scope three, where it's you know associated value chain emissions. Well, that's, that seems like a, a fair analogy, but can you say this asset, this Matic token, can you then say all other incarnations of it should be attributable to Polygon? I don't know. Let's, let's see. It will be interesting to to see how this debate evolves. And the more relevant this becomes, the more relevant crypto becomes, Ethereum or Polygon becomes, the, the more people will be, be trying to figure it trying to figure this one out. You know, if if a blockchain network provides some infrastructure service for, you know, a FTSE 100 company, that FTSE 100 company is gonna be saying to the, to the blockchain network, well, look, you're considered within our scope three emissions. What are your emissions and what are you doing about it? And so you get this cas- cascading effect down the supply chain where, where everyone's implicated and everyone needs to figure out their carbon emissions. And I think crypto is just, just kind of working through this problem at the moment. I think my my final comment on this, which I, I think is important actually is, and this happens a lot in, in the climate space, people kind of take shots at each other, you know, y- your accounting's not good enough, your action's not good enough, your carbon credit's not good enough, your investment's not good enough. And I, I think that's kind of counterproductive I think it makes whether it's an organisation or an individual, it makes them feel defensive. It doesn't make them doesn't make them see it as an opportunity or a challenge they need to overcome. It somehow makes it personal. It somehow makes it reactive. And I think you know when, when we engage with these conversations, we should we should be solution orientated. And if we think someone's um, you know undercalculated their emissions or they've not used the right kind of carbon credit or or something like that. We should you know, it should it should be a question of education, I suppose, is is what I'm trying to say and, and not kind of throwing shade or trying to, you know, point score because it's it's not useful given, you know, the, the the task that everyone on this call has kind of set themselves up to to try and solve.
2: But speaking to uh, you know, for example, some of the Coverage we've had in the traditional media. I mean, we've been in the Wall Street Journal in their print edition. We've been in different, uh, yeah, news outlets. Uh, most recently in Bloomberg, there was an article uh, published, and it was critical of Klima actually, saying that uh, you know, by sweeping the floor of these uh, low-quality carbon credits, we're kicking up a lot of dust, and that we're we're encouraging people to put out low-quality carbon credits to take advantage of this and. And uh, a lot of us felt um, felt that it was a uh, perhaps an uninformed take, perhaps a little inaccurate. What were your thoughts when you first read that article of uh, in Bloomberg?
1: I mean, first of all, I would say it's a bit disappointing to see it come out the way it did. I'd, I'd agree. I I don't think it really came across as a deep dive article. You know, weighing the pros and cons of what we're doing. I don't think it even took the time to get to grips with. Our big ideas for the voluntary carbon market. It seems that it was heavily influenced by an article put out by another organization, who well, I guess I won't name, but but that other article really came out firing with some kind of preconceived ideas of, of what we're doing. But because this other article didn't challenge its own assumptions or understanding of Klimadow, this kind of secondhand, and I think it's fair to say it's like superficially researched analysis. I mean, they didn't talk to us, for example, which would be their primary research activity. This kind of secondhand perspective was, was taken on by Bloomberg. So, you know, we, we can be a bit annoyed about it, but I guess this kind of feeds into what I was saying earlier, we, we, we probably need to look closer to home, right? If, if Bloomberg are being led by someone else's hot take, rather than taking the time to to dive into our work and impact with, I guess we need to step up, right? We're, We're, clearly relevant. They've covered us. We've captured over 17 million tons of carbon credits. So, so there's a talking point here. So if we've not done well enough to, to engage with them, maybe we need to be thinking about how, again, taking this super complex idea that, you know, maybe journalists are shying away from, from the complexity here. What's an AMM, you know, what's compounding carbon you know what what are all these credit i can't these concepts i, I can't even get my head around them then um yeah we, we need to think about that and you know i've i've stated earlier in this this podcast that i've been responsible for the past uh nine ten or maybe 12 months now kind of you know taking a lead a lot on, on a lot of these communications elements i, I suppose the buck stops with me to a degree there and and need to to think about how we elevate it so yeah we you know we we can be we can be annoyed or we can, we can be humbled and, you know, kind of keep trying to just push forwards based on those, you know, principles of, of honesty, openness, and um, and using kind of data to, to prove ourselves.
2: Well, I don't think we can be critical uh, too critical. Uh, I mean, so a, I love that attitude of saying, you know, look, look inwards before casting about, uh, outwards in terms of blame and, Frustration, I think that's perfect, um, a, pr- a great attitude to have in terms of uh, development, and that's what's got us to this point, frankly, you know, this uh, iterative development and evolution of not only, you know, our communication strategy, but um, if you look back, I mean, the communications have always been, um, you know, honest and uh, trying to be as accurate as possible and and setting out this vision uh, for something. So. So there's, there will never be a satisfaction of everyone out there and people will come in with preconceived notion. But again, I think the engagement is, what is key here, whether it's maybe slightly negative on the surface, um, you know, people who read that may decide to do their own research, you know, may look up the clima website and kind of dive in and say, oh, you know, I think that was a little bit misguided. So, uh, you know, it's, I hate to say the old, uh, any publicity is good publicity, but, but, um, I think the engagement is what's key at this stage. Of our development,
1: I mean, I, I agree fundamentally, and perhaps to your earlier point about you know the engagement with the carbon markets, and we're essentially looking at engaging with, with policymakers and such. You know, that's that's kind of the the real prize, right? Legitimacy is is what we want to establish, and I think maybe that's that's a good kind of thing to play with to actually come back and. And go a bit deeper into what that article was trying to say bearing in mind uh, we've, we've kind of made that distinction earlier about the supply side of the market and the demand side of the market i think you know klima Dow's position is that we're aligned with the existing standards i think they've done incredible work to to bring integrity to the market it wouldn't have scaled to the point that it's at now without the standards, which is you know Vera Gold standard. You, you mentioned Ayeta and Acro earlier, and and that's the kind of platform that we're we're building on top of. So, the, and then if we we go deeper into that article, there's there's two criticisms, right? There's the the challenge on the quality of the credits, and then the the challenge of the the zombie credits. The notion of low quality credits itself isn't new. Um, not all carbon credits are. Created equal, I suppose, is the line you hear sometimes. Uh, that's that's why there's a spread in the market. Why different customers purchase different types of credits and so on. I think that's quite a big discussion in its own right.
0: Sure. So for our listeners, what does what do we mean when we say zombie credit? It's saying like this is an old project that you know had credits certified in the past, and then suddenly they're reissuing them. Is that what we mean by zombie or?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say reissuing that, but issuing them for the first time, right? So um, the the carbon carbon credits will have a vintage date, which is the the date that the the the, the mitigation or removal action kind of took place, and then it's got an issuance date, which is kind of the day it's the credit itself is issued and, and hits the market. So if you have if you have very old credits with an old vintage, but a new issuance date, it implies that you know that the economics weren't right for that credit to be issued and put onto the market and then the, the criticism is that now Dao, um has created the incentives to reissue those credits or to issue those credits and there's a question around whether they should be a carbon credit or not i suppose is 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 the ultimate challenge you know if they've survived eight ten years without being issued, and without that carbon finance going to the project, well, maybe it's not additional. Maybe, maybe the project doesn't doesn't quote unquote deserve to to be issued. Again, our, our position probably isn't that we need to to challenge this point explicitly. I, in the case of us at the moment, the the carbon credits that have been bridged onto the blockchain are, are Vera carbon credits bearer have the position that these credits are legitimate and and have a place within the market um so i mean should should we be challenging that i'm i'm not sure what we're seeing at the moment is this migration of the supply of carbon credits onto the blockchain so to clarify the migration of carbon credits onto the blockchain of carbon credits that haven't been the offset hasn't been allocated to any organisation or individual, right? They were previously live on the registry and and traded using the registry, and now they're live on the blockchain to be traded on the blockchain. So by moving this legacy supply onto our Sushi Swap AMMs, we expose them to the the, the DeFi market. And maybe I'm labouring this point a bit, but I th- I think it's. I think it's important that there's no allocation of an offset during this process. So, to go deeper, I guess, you should probably look at the, the base carbon ton pool. So, the base carbon ton pool is a pretty inclusive pool of carbon credits. If it's VCS certified and has a vintage post-2008, then the methodology hasn't explicitly been blacklisted by Toucan, which, I mean, a couple have, then, then it's fair game. So we're migrating these credits into the BCT pool, on one side you've got Vera saying fair game, these credits deserve to be issued, have got a place in the market, and then on the other side, we've got these organisations saying no, it, it's got no, it's got no value, it, it doesn't deserve to be issued. Um, so, so there's this, it's like almost a philosophical debate, right, and Klima, Klima itself is creating the incentives to, to do the migration. I, I don't think that necessarily even implicates us in the debate. We're, we're saying it's a, a supply side issue, uh, but we acknowledge the the role of the supply side, and, and we want to expose the supply side to DeFi. So, I, I think that's a, a fair a fair position.
0: So we're, we're 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 incentivizing the migration of those credits in that sense, but we're not incentivizing the. Original certification or or creation of them, right?
1: Right, right. It it still ticks off the, the the criteria to enable it to be to be issued. But I mean, I guess if we if we think more about the the like, what can CLEMA do? What is what is CLEMA's role here, or what's Klima, Klima's CLEMA's influence here? There's one thing we can do to to influence what supply of carbon credits come onto the blockchain. Um, which is we can we can work with our bridging department partners to to inform the development of the gating criteria of the pools right um so that's 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 something we can do as i mentioned bct is is super broad basically anything as long as it's not blacklisted can go in there um and actually i think on the tucum forum they you know they were discussing whether they should increase the, the stringency of, of bct itself so that's that's one way so if we over time tweak the gating criteria for various pools you know we we already are selective with our bridging partners you know we can start to to influence what the supply on the market on on our markets actually is and i, I think that's an interesting way for klima to to have influence here but that said Going back to the point again that, you know, there's, there's experts who have kind of defined the, the parameters around the issuance of carbon credits. So, you know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't challenge them. And I think that's, that's going to be an ongoing kind of conversation and, you know, piece of exploration over the next years, months.
0: But, but I mean like, you know, Moss and C3 and flow and some of our other, you know, partners who are bringing tokenized carbon on chain so they have different standards and different cutoffs and you're kind of alluding to the fact that that can be tweaked or that's something that is within control
1: yeah i think i mean i guess what i'm getting at is you know if bct was was made more stringent you would then cut off these zombie credits and the challenge is that these zombie credits have no legitimate value so well what if bct got cut off and then we say okay well let's let's test the hypothesis we'll create a separate pool for these quote unquote zombie credits on a on a sushi swap amm and we'll let the market decide we'll we'll let the market find price equilibrium and that would be an interesting experiment right to challenge to say we're going to create a pool let's see if we can let's see if there's any demand for these credits and i think you know i don't say this to imply that Klima is even thinking about this. I think what I'm trying to do is just illustrate that Klima is like a demand-side scaling solution for the carbon market. So our approach is to leverage the DeFi tech stack to try and expose the market to to a true efficient market. So if, you know, taking this concept of, of zombie credits, I'm not saying we'll do it, but we could just stick them in the pool and then we could let the market find the price of them, which is that's the power of game. right? It's, it's, it's leveraging our incentives to, to kind of stratify the market, to, to put the carbon credits to productive use to see if they do, if they do fetch a, a market price and I'm sure they would, you know, these, these zombie credits. They'll they'll take a much lower premium, and they'll, I'm sure there's corporates that are interested in in picking up some very low cost renewable credits to to offset their their carbon emissions. They're VCS certified. It fits into their re- reporting requirements. So so why wouldn't they use them?
0: Well, certainly as you're saying, you know we may or may not do that, but as a as a thought experiment, it certainly illustrates the role and. I, I think you know some of that benefit of the on you know bringing that carbon market on chain and setting up the liquidity there right I mean this is not something it's not a hypothesis that's easy to test off chain either right
1: right exactly you can't really test it off chain because this this the, the fragmentation of the market and the, the, the lack of liquidity um, it, it would be very difficult to test and even if it got tested it would be very unlikely that you'd be able to access the data to to publicize the findings of, of the experiment. So, you know, because of because everything's open on on the blockchain, you know, it, it would play out in, in front of everybody's eyes, which I think is, you know, another compelling sort of benefit of, of what it is that we're building. It's super transparent.
0: It, exactly, that's why I just thought it was a little bit of a, a paradox or an oxymoron, I guess, about the way that that article came out. It's kind of latching onto this, you know, issue and a little bit of a, a a narrow focus on that but the whole you know that debate or this issue or the way that we can solve it is kind of um, you know addressable by the fact or it's explorable by the fact that we've brought the carbon market on chain now right so much more
1: yeah 100% and and that kind of goes back to the earlier point right if we keep I mean creating data right and using it to justify what it is that we're doing we can hopefully start to cut through some of the more common like attacks that we we receive i think you know we've covered the, the idea of crypto carbon emissions but uh, another another one that was kind of referenced in that the the article that informed the bloomberg article was that it kind of implied that Solving climate change must not be rewarded. I, I can't remember the exact language that they used in that. But I think, uh, you know, we should reject that notion that if if uh, an organisation, a DAO, is is innovative enough to, to try and embed some incentives into capturing car- carbon credits, creating demand for carbon credits, you know, exposing carbon credits to new innovations. I, you know, I don't think... I think that's a good thing to do, and if there are economics incentives that can be uh, be aligned with it, um, that's not something we should necessarily shy away from. It's you know, climate change should be a status symbol if you do something good. Climate change should be rewarded.
2: One of the uh, one of the things that uh, bothers people in the com- in the greater community is is the inability to contribute to to take part in this uh, climate action beyond you know making changes to their own, to their own lifestyle or advocating, many feel um, not empowered. And uh, touching on what you were mentioning about the demand side to t- tie that in from maybe people who aren't as economically minded or, or aren't uh, involved in markets don't understand that lingo. And you know, when we talk about demand side, we're really talking about allowing people to engage with the market who want to. So, And so what we're doing is allowing people to participate uh, who may not have been able to participate in uh, as meaningful a fashion in the past? I mean, both through just directly engaging with clima or some some aspect of the carbon on-chain carbon ecosystem, or contributing directly to the success of it. I think that we're enabling climate activism, making it easier. What are your What are your thoughts on on that? I mean, that's it's a diff, diff, perhaps a more difficult uh, part of this to quantify, but uh this idea of network effects is in crypto and and uh are we actually helping spread the word of climate change as well or climate activism
1: yeah i i think so i think it's an interesting question it kind of how we're enabling things kind of starts at the the fundamental level right you used to have to have a registry account or pay for a broker for a service in order for you to acquire and retire a carbon credit you don't need that anymore you can just go purchase your credit on, on polygon and retire it using klima DAO's retirement aggregator so that's kind of step one right we've, we've dem- democratized access to the the carbon market in a way that wasn't and then i think from there yeah the you know the the openness kind of cascades down right anyone can come and uh participate within klima you know they can they can acquire, so they can bond with the treasury. They can, they can stake, um, and I think there's there's really interesting and in, in creative things that that we can do off the back of that. I like the the analogy with the NFT space. Um, I think a year ago we we saw the kind of a, as I mentioned earlier that approach of you know offsetting per NFT, and what we see now with that. Um, really elegant, uh, CO2 compound piece that Archie and Sven worked on together. You know, you can lock S Klima within in an NFT, make it irredeemable and forever that NFT will, will compound carbon. Um, and, and you won't be able to take that carbon out. It's not, it's not technically retired, right. It's, it's custodied, Um, but yeah, it just opens up all these, these new ways of of thinking about things that that we weren't able to before i think you know the another nice idea is is this idea of using carbon as collateral right before you couldn't ever use use carbon as a collateral i'm not sure what the bank would think if i asked for a loan if i promised to hold some carbon credits on, on my registry account for them but now with with DeFi, 5 you, you can take your tokenized carbon and you can offer up and you know t- receive perhaps some ethereum or, or a stable coin and in, in, in return for it and you can go off and you can do other productive activities and you can come back and you know redeem your collateral if you need to or yeah and i, I just think it opens up all, all these weird and wonderful solutions and i think this is why what we're doing is is quite interesting right i think crypto has been known for being a purely speculative activity and i think as i was talking about earlier i think i initially got interested because i thought it had utility for the energy sector and now we're seeing it's got these real benefits for for the carbon markets and i think you now hopefully other people in crypto look at us and and like our work because we're demonstrating the value that it it can bring to other areas of our lives that that weren't previously people didn't think there was necessarily a connection between crypto and a a certain domain before so speaking about long time itself it brings me to my favorite question or the question that we always use to end the show which is what do you see in 2033 you know i i want to take i want to take this thing and Get us recognised for the work that we're doing. I'd, I'd like us to to not just be covered in media. You know, that's that's not so. That that is what it is. But you know, to be to be acknowledged at the highest levels that that what we're doing is is meaningful and it's you know closing that concept of an emissions gap. Right at the moment, we're not trending to where we need to trend if we want to avoid the worst um, impacts of climate change. So you know, I'd like to see us acknowledged as a legitimate solution. And I think you know uh, there's there's different ways that you can measure success. at It can be liquidity, it can be uh, the you know various things. But I think the the, the my favourite metric is is the locked carbon credits in our treasury. I think that's that signifies the impact, right? So 2023, I can't comment on how many we'll have, uh, you know, but we're arguably on track to to be on for. 150 million perhaps in the next year to 18 months you know there's there's metrics that might suggest that so you know if, if we can keep up a, a good pace and, and internalize more and more carbon we're, we're doing the right thing if we internalize more carbon it you know implicitly means that there'll be more cleaner on the market and with cleaner, we can do interesting things you know whether it's a lock test cleaner and an nft project or you know these these other ideas we've kind of touched upon so yeah let's for me i'm going to keep looking at looking at that CO2 number. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. Really, really thank you for sharing your thoughts.
0: Yeah, keeping your eyes on the prize there, the key metric of the CO2 that we're bringing on chain. Yeah, I think that's probably a great way to to, to wrap it up there too, unless there was anything else that you wanted to, to add or that we wanted to explore that we didn't.
1: No, I think that's great. Yeah, we we covered a lot of content yeah i mean maybe there's there's one other idea we can we can touch on but you know is this this on chain market kind of establishes itself it'd be really interesting to to see if we can incentivize you know like defi native projects or um you know new new types of supply onto the blockchain i know there's a lot of organizations who who are thinking differently about the supply of carbon credits and you know to date we've We've fallen back on that position that no, we we kind of trust the the main standards. But I think you know over time, particularly with carbon removals, where the question of carbon removals is typically a bit more of a it's like a gap funding problem. Like if you're trying to you're trying to fund innovation. So I, th- I think there's some really interesting opportunities for for the on chain carbon market to to think differently about the supply. So it's, it's something we should keep our eye on.
0: Boom. That's the mic drop.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much, Oxy. This is really, really, has been a really great session with you. Cool. Cheers, guys. That, that was fun.
0: Oh, well, that was definitely a great conversation. It was awesome to chat with Oxy and learn more about his background. I don't know about you two, but I really appreciated learning about you know his background across both academia and renewables, and now how he's really you know transitioned over the last few years and brought those skill sets over to our Web three world. And you know now he's really helping to tackle the climate crisis by driving innovation in the carbon markets with Klima here. How about you, Reg? What was your you know takeaway? Or what
2: resonated with you with that conversation with Oxy? I think in terms of weaving together the traditional carbon market with the developing blockchain carbon market, talking about the incentives and future vision, I think was really informative. Uh, And again, I just uh, I think Klima, the community should be very, uh, very proud to have someone of his caliber in the core team. 100%. I definitely yeah
0: was impressed with this conversation. And for me, it was a first chance to hear from him and would underscore your impressions there too. Diamond hands for you what what really stuck?
1: I think the more, most important thing is really like what he has in terms of vision and in terms of Klima itself. I think this is something that, uh you know, through all the podcast uh, episodes we have with the core team, it's very, very much that they are all very aligned in the point where, where they're here for the long term and they really see a lot of potential in climate, in changing and fighting climate change.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely our, our mission here with the podcast is letting people, you know, meet the core team and really hear their their motivation, their background and get to meet them in this intimate way. So definitely agree with that there, too. So for everything Klima, make sure you're hitting up klimadao.finance where you can stake bond. And I think, you know, most importantly, find that link to the Klima Discord community that's under our resources uh, tab, the resources section. And then you'll find a link to the Discord under community there. As a decentralized autonomous organization, Klima is community-driven, just like this very podcast. So join us and you're going to find a great group of climates to connect with and plenty of opportunities to contribute and be an active climate too. So we hope you enjoyed this conversation with Oxymoron and thank you so much for joining us. We're looking forward to connecting with you and saying hello once again on the very next Planet of the Climates.